the Koi gig part. Who is this serving and what is the end goal would be kind of nice to know. I feel like we haven't had quite enough Irish bias this year, so I am quite happy to see this. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. Wednesday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Now then, Wednesday Night Rugby, very happy to say, Jerry Thornley of the Irish Times here in studio. You're very welcome. Thank you, Joe. Good to be here. Hell hath frozen over. <laughs> I'm honoured. <laughs> Andy Dunn has watched non-test match rugby this side of Christmas. <laughs> Is everything okay at home? <laughs> Pretty stressful for me, so yeah, I managed to get in a bit of extra rugby. It's, yeah. it's important to lower yourself down to, to the, the common people at times. You know? it, true, true. I managed to enjoy some of it as well. Oof. Oh, better again. So, I mean, it was an interesting opening weekend. What would we say about it in grand, large terms before we get into specifics? Pedigree counts, you know, all the usual suspects, top three in the batting, all made statement wins. I thought Leinster particularly away to Rassing, well, away in La Rahav, but very convincing win. Classic Leinster, showed their desire from the off, work ethic. Toulouse, very impressive away day performance to win Munster and quell the crowd and everything. And uh, La Rochelle eviscerating Northampton. Mm. And there were a few other standouts. I thought a couple, like Sale and Exeter, had really, really interesting, good wins. Montpellier looked like they're taking the competition too seriously, or, or are taking it seriously, rather. And a little bit early to judge on the South African side just based on one weekend. But Two home wins, one away loss. Exactly, mm. yeah. In very high-scoring games at home, and you know, we, you score five tries, we'll score six. I'm not sure that's the formula that's going to win a Heineken Cup, but it really has before. No, although Rory O'Connor did make the point on Monday, it might help you navigate through the pool stages if your fellow competitors are playing miserable rugby in miserable weather. That's true too. Which is like interesting. Six sides in pool A, all on five points, all with bonus point wins, so it's... It could be like, in terms of getting that really good advantageous draw deep into the tournament, which is what Leinster will want, you, you, you've got to rack up the points. On La Rochelle, we'll come to them in more detail ahead of Munster, or sorry, Ulster and Belfast. La Rochelle are now a fixture in this competition under Ron Lagar. That much is very clear. Well, yeah, I think, um, yeah, they're, they're, it's great to see new sides coming through like that as well. Mm. There was um, Obviously, they've had... Uh, a lot of money pumped in as well and that that's, makes an obvious difference um, you know 15-20 years ago they were just an also round side I think they were in pro D to and um, yeah no, they're, they're an exciting team they play a good brand of rugby they're, they're good um, they've kind of a breadth of strengths across their team mm-hmm. uh, they're huge you know they're good in the line out they've uh, this kind of uh, Athletic racehorse type back row, you know, and then, yeah, sick, absolutely. So, um, yeah, very kind of a good balance team, and and again, that that's when you've got that level of different types and styles of strengths across the squad, you're sustainable then through the tournament. So, yeah, they're they're not going anywhere. They've a new out half, Antoine Hastoy. Yes, yeah. Tall, very classy, elegant player, great passing range, a bit of a running threat. Do you know what? Hold that thought. Okay. We have a technical issue with your microphone. We're going to take the briefest of pauses and we Me? will be right back. Yes, we'll get it started with just one second. We are back. Thank you for your patience, Jerry. You were just making the point about the La Rochelle out half, so take it away. Well, there's been a little bit of a problem position for them, even though they won the, Ch- the Champions Cup last season and Ohio West was brilliant in the final, but... Jules Prieston didn't have a great time there and he's gone to Claremont as well. They both left and so Rogers brought in Antoine Hastoy who's been at Poe for quite a bit. He's 25. Mm. Very tall, elegant, classy player with a good passing range. 
and very good on front football. That much we saw at the weekend. I don't know how much how good he's going to be if we put under pressure in a way day because they have been a little bit hit or miss. Larry, what did you make of him? He's an interest now because the French journalist tell me he's the third best out half in France now. Yeah, he's he's a bit more of a classic French style in the sense. Like I know I know I saw Ramos who was playing who was playing fullback over the weekend has played 10 but there's something a bit unedifying about watching Ramos because he's been anglicised you know he plays, he takes his place kicks like a robot he's metronomic it's like watching an English place kicker French kickers over in, who play 10 or 15 they often play in different positions um, will tend to look to have a more in, a more individual style and a more French style mm-hmm. um, to their play and this fella um, for La Rochelle certainly is a bit more of a throwback to that kind of French typical French stylish out half versus a metronomic yeah. machine like mm-hmm. Anglos- Anglo-Saxon type out half so um, yeah interesting to hear how well he's rated in the French media mm-hmm. um, I haven't seen enough of him I would say to say yeah. I'm going to rate him in the top three mm-hmm. or four but he certainly looks like he's a Interesting, doesn't yeah, he? And yeah. capable. Mm. And he's got a pretty good coach. Let's follow this thread a moment then. I suspect you don't love an Anglo-Saxon style out half. <laughs> no, I do. I, um, I, I, it depends on the scenario. I think they're, they're, they're my preference is obviously, you know, you know my preference for the likes of the Finn Russells of the world. But if you look at Ross Byrne, for example, who is... He's so effective and so impactful. You know, you look at a. I I do look at Ross Byrne and I think of um, a conductor of an orchestra. In that, he's not one of the key instruments, but when he's around, everything functions at this incredible level. And he he's not necessarily doing something that's incredibly stylish or impactful himself, but the entire team just functions on a high level and that's he could be described as an Anglo-Saxon at half but he's he's a coach's dream so I can have my mm-hmm. my, my flavours and whims but it doesn't matter it's about what works in the in the situation and between the La Rochelle guy and being a bit more of a, a flair and natural skillful mm-hmm. player like Carberry's flair and natural skill but does he make a team function the way Ross does and I'm using that analogy you know the orchestra and the conductor for a reason in that he's not he's not, Ross is he's slightly he seems one removed from the action but when, yet when he's there it's entirely functional mm-hmm. and would it's an consider, amazing trade Would you consider Sexton and O'Gara as Anglo-Saxon? Yeah I would yeah kind of Northern Hemisphere game managers I, O'Gara like if you look at the Irish out halves over the years you go back to the 70s Mick Quinn was a game manager and a conductor Ollie Campbell was Tony Ward wasn't I think Ollie Campbell was yeah, yeah. I think Ollie was his yeah. game manager you know Paul Dean maybe wasn't but then you had Humphreys were we ready for Tony Ward as a country probably not but you had Humphreys you know Gareth great game managers Sexton's nearly a, a different he's so by sheer force of will has shaped a team brought a team and a squad and a culture to his shape over 15 years not so understated but as a game manager mm. but Byrne is like a true game manager and conductor of a team and I, it's an incredible trait he gets very little credit for it like you'd have to have a very clear argument to not include him on the back of what he's done in the last four weeks to not include him in your thoughts for a World Cup because he makes everyone else function so well mm-hmm. 
like the guy what's the young guy who came on on Sunday night who was watching the NFL who, his first game for the 49ers see that nope his parents it was a very funny interview his parents said they travelled to the game they never go to his games but they were playing against Tom Brady so they wanted to see his son on the squad versus Tom Brady but Jimmy Garoppolo who's the starting quarterback got injured and this young fellow went in for his first game his parents were out by accident against Tom Brady and they absolutely rinsed Tom Brady's team and the, the entire point of it afterwards was this is a natural game conductor going into that situation he was not phased in any way he's 20 years old and so I know Ross is older but the role of a 10 being an incredible game conductor that Ross just it keeps happening he keeps getting I suppose it's keeps getting slightly overlooked it's like people say oh, God Leinster kind of had it easy today Put someone else in that role uh, after a difficult trip to France in that Leinster side and see it wasn't an mm. easy day for them. Mm. He does it seamlessly. So, yeah, I suppose, I don't know if that answers your question, but Anglo-Saxon out of I'm just pulling at the thread and seeing where yeah. your mind takes us, to be honest. And so, would you say there's very little difference between Irish out-halves, the quintessential Irish out-half then, and the Anglo-Saxon out-half? Yeah. We're one and the same. And what pretty, about pretty like much. New Zealand and Australia? And no, South I think Af- they're quite different. Yeah. South Africa, where, I think New Zealand in particular, up? French ones. South African ones, I would say, are more Anglo-Saxon or Northern Hemisphere because kicking dominant, yeah. kick, kicking for territory, kicking to control the game, distributors, well, maybe not attacking threats. Richie, Moonga, uh, Barrett, uh, Carter, um, Aaron Cruden, if you look at the last 15 years, they're all game breakers. They're not game managers and they're not conductors. Joey Carver's an interesting one he because is, of that first 10 years being exactly. reared in New Zealand. He, yeah. You can actually see a little we're, bit we're of We're gradually key. knocking it out of him. <laughs> <I think. laughs> do do well, you think Joey Carver's been badly coached in Ireland? Uh, no, I just think he's been coached by multiple people and strong people with different views. And so I think it's impacted his play. Okay. You, know, you, get, you get multiple inputs enough over time, it's difficult. I had something similar um, from about 18 to 25 I think I'd, each year I had a brand new coach and they had very different views mm. unless you've got a really forthright opinion and confidence to ignore half of it yes, you're going to listen try and impress and then you get now I think Joey's now playing very well again mm-hmm. he's getting regular game time kicking is hugely reliable he's just, he's just not he's probably not as sparkling as he was yeah. In, in, in former times but that doesn't mean he's not effective yes. perhaps he's fallen into the Ross Byrne category now as well we'll get back on track in a second but just one other thought as we have it so the French 10 so often superseded by the Le Petit General alongside him mm. so in Intimac what's he is he taking a step back and letting DuPont run the show like would Sexton and DuPont God, the uh, friction I don't, like the irresistible force meets the immovable object imagine those two playing mm. together I don't I think, know yeah, sometimes uh, John Cooney and Sexton was the chemistry right because he'd be uh, the closest yeah, maybe yeah. Ireland have well, there to there has a, to be chemistry I wouldn't say Intermax stepping back I'd say Inter, in, or Dupont Dupont is just taking over and it would be similar with Sexton but I don't know what the two I mean two incredible players would be interesting to see them they probably would be a, a force to be. He's a very classical with. French tennis, isn't he, Intermac? And so is Jalibert. Yeah, yeah. Jalibert. I think Jalibert is class. class. What, what do you fan. mean by classical, Jerry? He's a big running threat. He takes the ball to the line. He can go either off either foot. He's a he's a real footballer. You know, okay. very often with French tens, they can play nine as well. Freddie Mishlack being a classic yeah. example. Okay. Elisal did it. Elisal did it. 
there's been so many French yeah. dads who can play nine or vice versa. Mm, mm. And that's what I mean by that okay. as well. As opposed to game manager. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, Jalibert, I've watched Jalibert a good bit this season. Bordeaux Begler are very dependent upon him and they didn't bring him to the away game against Gloucester, which is why I didn't back them. <laughs> because they are even more Jalibert dependent than Toulouse are Dupont dependent, if you know right. what I mean. And uh, he just makes something happen out of nothing. He's got a wonderful array of skills and just a real running threat. A bit, a bit like Bowden Barge. You've almost got a winger at 10. So, mm. you know, that gives you... I, li- I like 10s with a big running threat. Mm. Yes. Me too. Mm. But, they, but they're, not, they're not a prerequisite. And no, they, no. They certainly don't guarantee success mm. compared to... I'd love to see the success rate if we were to say your, your game conductors. The, like Ross Byrne, the win ratio for Leinster. I've yeah. no, I mean, it's got to be over 95%. That's just a guess. Yeah. They almost never lose with him. Mm-hmm. And he ne- never misses kicks. And like, he's, he's not a... It's not a running threat. No, true. He's so understated. But I just think that that conductor side is growing and growing and growing on me. I mean, I interviewed... You're um, maturing. Maybe I am. But maybe I, I interviewed... I did a corporate thing a couple of weeks back. I interviewed Michael Lina the week of the Aussie game. And I asked him about the, the quarterfinal of the World Cup in 91, mm-hmm. where we had the breakaway try Gordon Hamilton scored. And I was one of, I was an 11 year old, but I was one of 50,000 people going bananas in Lansdowne Road. But there was a huddle under the post, right? We went, Ralph Keyes got the conversion. This is a World Cup quarter final. We went 18 15 up, just two minutes on the clock, we're winning. And there was a huddle, and I asked the captain, Nick Fire Jones, was off the field. So I asked Michael Lino, what? Because he became captain, he was vice captain. What did you say in the huddle? And he said, I took a couple of deep breaths and I said, we have to assume with two minutes to go, Ireland are going to want to protect their lead. So let's not kick off shallow and try and get possession. Let's kick off long. They're going to kick it into the stand. We get a line out in the 22. We're going to throw it to John Hills. I'm going to call this play off the line out and we're going to hope for the best after that. But it was a very clear plan. Now, for everyone watching that game in Lansdowne Road when you're full of excitement, Nobody understands that that's all a, preordained. That's preordained, like a game conductor. Yeah. It's strategic. So line around that, sure enough, Campisi makes a line break. He figured I'd better get around and get in support. And if we don't, at least I know where the ball is and I'll get a second touch. Line scores in the corner. They go through, they win the World Cup. Yeah. That's game. That's just incredible game perception remember, and management Paris, remember the, the drop goal so France have a penalty to go two scores clear and then the drop goal doesn't happen yeah. 2018 first yeah. game yeah. they're behind the posts yeah. Johnny Sexton tells Ian Henderson I'm kicking the ball left and he tells Keith Earls to hug the right touchline because I want you as a cross kick option Yeah. so all that's 46 phases ensue thanks to Ian Henderson claiming the restart but also a key moment is Keith Earls being ready for the cross Absolutely. kick and Johnny plant all that in the in goal area yeah and th- that's exactly what I'm, what we're talking about. Yeah. So, like, if that's, that's where, Anglo-Saxon. That's where flair meets Anglo-Saxon yeah, as well. Yeah, and yeah, risk, yeah. And risk-taking. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and obviously the balance, the, the absolute greats have the balance of both. Yes. But, yeah, we need, you know, I certainly need to rein it in and be careful about, you know, I like, I like a, a running threat at 10, but, you know, Tom Brady's never been, we're talking about him, has he ever been a running threat? No. Never in his life, but he's the greatest of, of all time in the NFL. So. so I wonder, for instance, to bring this little um, tangent to a, a, an end at some stage, Borthwick, if he comes in as England manager, mm. some are saying, well, he might reinstate Owen Farrell as a game-managing 10 to do the simple stuff and, to be fair, some of the complicated stuff very well 
as but opposed to Marcus Smith. And maybe that, Marcus Smith as an impact replacement off yeah, the bench. Yeah. He might go down that route. Because, and the, here's the question, because that fits test match mm. tournament rugby. Mm. Marcus Smith, premiership, tricks, go for it. Mm. Test match rugby leans towards more the, the, the game manager. Do you agree with that? Um, perhaps. The, the when New Zealand won back-to-back World Cups playing a, a very unpredictable game but I do think that's uh, like fashion trends there's sporting trends and cycles I think that level of unpredictability that happened in 2011 2015 certainly in the lead up games to those World Cup finals that's slightly been ironed out again by defences and management and strategy so we're probably going back towards a cycle of um, the own Farrell 10 at international Perhaps not that it's my favourite thing, but that strengthen the argument behind Ross Byrne for a World Cup. Then, well, it would. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Ross Byrne is strengthening the argument. <laughs> True. Like he's the one who's gone out and in this, you know, non-flash way, just creating results that seem to happen all of a sudden, and everyone goes, "Yeah." No, like I just heard a number of comments. Leinster kind of had it easy. I was like, they didn't have it easy. Mm-hmm. They had anything but easy. In mm-hmm. fact, right. just appeared to be that way because they've got a fella who's just his coach's dream, absolute coach's and, dream. And, and Stuart Lancaster said that. Yeah, he told us in the media a couple of weeks back that often we can just chat away here because nobody's going to be really listening anyway, aren't they? They're all going to work for a cup. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're live but, at the moment. Oh, <laughs> oh, okay. Um, but uh, what we're going to say was. Yeah, he was telling us that when he's up in the coaching box, Stuart Lancaster, he's thinking things that like what needs to be done, and Ross Byrne is doing it yeah, as if he's yeah, think, like when he's yeah, thinking it. Yeah, and that's a hell of a good. That yeah. just completely tallies with your point. Yeah, yeah. But is it applicable to test level? Like, why, what's this, why is there this perceived ceiling of Ross Byrne? I think the perceived ceiling is is that he doesn't seem to do anything that is a standout individual aspect to his game. In that he's not going to make a. You know, he's not going to make a piercing line break. No, I get that. But for but you, he can run a game, he can test run level a, game. He can yeah, run absolutely. It. And I, no, I think he's he's been unfairly treated for a long time for, as a result of the 2019 World Cup warm up game in Twickenham, where we were we were on a massive downward spiral, which people weren't necessarily aware they of. They also took that game on the fly on the way on home the, from Portugal. On, on the there back was no of match prep. absolutely, just, I don't know why they were. They had been overtrained on purpose with a view to prep for yeah. the World Cup. And they were all heavy legs. I stopped off and tricking them on the way home, threw Ross Burn in yeah. behind a tired pack, and he got he got written off. I was like, we can't. People panicked pre World Cup, so this guy can't handle it. He actually started that game very well as well. Ireland yeah. actually took the lead. He nailed a couple of great kicks and. Right. Yeah. I mean, you think even November, but for injuries and Sexton in the warm-up, oh, he's, he's he nowhere near that nowhere penalty near. kick. He was at fifth in the pecking order, I'd yeah. say. The mats. But then he goes out and nails the kick, yeah. you know. So he, he's, there's huge credit to someone for that who, who's not getting... He certainly hasn't been getting credit. And then he goes out and nails a kick like that. And you've got coaches like Lancaster saying... Yeah. But Andy, to be fair, it's not just all the general public. It's brilliant observers, even on our show, who are saying... No, and Harry's the anointed one or someone else. Yeah, yeah. Like, I would say the rugby fraternity at large, pundits, mm. are bypassing Ross Byrne in the conversation. Well, for someone who's traditionally been a big fan of Flair and the, the Finn Russells of the world, I've, I'm full circle on Ross Byrne. I think he's back in the conversation now, okay. just because of that clutch kick, because there will be clutch kicks in the World Cup. How many tens will they bring? Well, that's an interesting one. They'll either bring two or... They might well bring, what I think they'll bring is they'll bring a third, but the third will be 
a Kieran Frawley or Jack Crowley or you know what I mean. Even though Joey can do the ten fifteen thing as well, mm. I wouldn't be surprised if they bring a third who's kind of a bit of a little bit of a utility player. You know what I mean? Cover a few. Positions. It's again it, like you've, you've versatility to, counts you've hugely in a work up. Exactly, kind of you've to manage your squad, sure, you, need, okay. you need fellas who can play multiple positions. And which counts, only plays counts against yeah. them. But then again, when it comes down to a game management moment, say Sexton gets injured before mm-hmm. a key game. Mm-hmm. You know, imagine Ross Byrne going in just managing the orchestra again. Is he the best game manager after Sexton? Yeah, I think he is the best game manager uh, in terms of exactly what we're talking about, that Lina example or the Owen Farrell example of you ask anyone who plays with someone like Ross, uh, that Leinster pack, for example, would you? who do they want to go for? The guy who's got loads of talent or the guy who's just going to make everyone shine and everyone tick? Mm. So it's a tricky one and I get it because in a World Cup, you need versatility and he doesn't have that and obviously Sexton's one of your tens okay. and Carberry's most likely one of them Certainly too. with regard to the Heineken Cup if you go through the role of honour at number 10 it's nearly always been outstanding world class players Johnny Wilkinson Owen Farrell you think of the seven Heineken Cups Irish teams have won and the three at halves have been David Humphreys Ron Agar and Johnny Sexton Yeah, you don't tend to win the Heineken Champions Cup unless you've got a really established, experienced, international test quality number 10. Now I know Ihaya West broke that trend a little bit last season with La Rochelle and he certainly nailed all his kicks in the final but by and large you look through the role of honour it's, it's very impressive. Matt Gitto. Yeah. Mm. So you've reminded me how we got here. You were talking about the La Rochelle 10. We need to um, resume. <laughs> That's why I give you the link back into the yeah, Now we're back. We're back. Uh, so that was a 24 minute tangent. We will take a very <coughs> short break. And we will come back and we will get their thoughts on the weekend. So Andy and Jerry staying with us just back in one second. Wednesday Night Rugby on Off The Ball. With Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Wednesday Night Rugby on Off The Ball. With Vodafone. Main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Now you're with Max and Jerry Thornley of the Irish Times. Andy Dunn is still with us as well. Seeing as we touched on, on La Rochelle and, and you talked about their improvements at 10, they're going to, we think Belfast, mm-hmm. potentially RDS, mm-hmm. depending on the weather, but certainly to play Ulster. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are we saying of Ulster nil, sale 39? I think it's the first time they've ever scored nil in a Heineken Cup match. Okay. For starters. Um, they never no one wants like, that record. <laughs> no. no. Um, it's a funny one, as I wrote earlier this week, like when the wheels come off Ulster, they really spectacularly come off. Like they don't have a great track record and bounce back ability, do they? Mm. Like when, it, when they suffer a big defeat, they seem to go on suffering for a little while afterwards. That, I, was, we all, I think we said it last week that they might well be scarred by being 22-3 up away to Leinster against 14 men. Um, and managing to lose that game. Since just before half-time in that match at the RDS, they have scored seven points and conceded 74. Yeah. Well, barely over. An, an, uh, 11 and tries conceded, 11 tries conceded. Since half-time. It's quite staggering. The RDS. Yeah. I think they miss Jared Payne hugely. I was told great things. Wonderful defensive coach. Just wonderful. One Ulster player told me he was the best coach he's ever worked with. Really? Yeah. And you look at all the young Ulster backs who've come through the system with Jared Payne as defense, defensive coach. And they're all excellent defenders. The defence for a couple of those tries was just very unulster like mm. So it's worrying because like, they, they need a huge response because if they lose at home to La Rochelle... They're done. They, they almost are, Joe. It's hard, yeah. because it's hard to see them getting anything out of the turn fixture away from home. 
And I, you'd have to think one win and a few bonus points, but judging by last season, is the absolute minimum threshold just to get into the last 16. And certainly if they want any way kind of an advantageous draw deep into the tournament, yes. they have to win. What's your sense, Andy? Just hard to fathom, aren't they? Because mm-hmm. they look... I think that they're alongside Leinster, they're the strongest Irish team on paper. If you look at the personnel, and you know, like for Mullen at eight, they've, they're just, you know, there's a lot of strength. I like there's, there's young, exciting players, and, and you know, Hume, McElroy. You've, I know Balakun didn't, Balakun didn't play, no, but, but like, you know, they've Stockdale coming back in. There's, there's just a lot of individual quality there. And it's hard to reconcile, really, or fathom the stat you just mentioned. So, you like, or the numbers, just like, there's something wrong Mm. there. I don't know what it is, but there's something wrong in any group, sporting group, and when things like that happen. Their body language before the end was not good, was it? They were very beaten, dispirited. Defence is always a real barometer of the mood in in a group as well. It really is. So was the mood in good in the first half at the RDS? I mean, it's too swift it's to maybe, change. They maybe it's be- too quick. One of the yeah. best teams fair in the URC for the first couple of weeks. No, fair point. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's, it's too they quick. They went into that Leinster game in second place in the URC and almost matching Leinster for every metric. The, the, their only defeat was by one score against Leinster. See, I do think their preparation... The second half at Leinster had its own yep. interesting quality mm-hmm. and, and as much to do with Leinster as it did Ulster. I think being up at three, four in the morning after spending the previous day at an airport and then two, three hour bus ride to get to the it's game a and a one o'clock kick yeah. off and I'm against, yeah. against yeah. a physical team who are second in the Premiership who are licking their lips. Yeah. I think we have to cut them slack. I really yeah, yeah. do. No, fair call, fair, fair call. Call. And, uh, and look, you know I'm usually negative. Yeah, yeah, you are definitely. And you know I'm usually not. Yeah. yeah but and another factor, other mediation. Ian Henderson and John Cooney are two players you really want for a game like that. Yeah. Your Jared Payne worries me, uh, point mm. worries me, I have to say. That maybe is a more sustained issue for mm-hmm. them. But defence is easier to get right, isn't it? Like, they should be able to tidy up that. Yeah. I don't know. Who's their current defence? Johnny Bell. Okay. We've been there before. Yeah. So he was a good So, defense. yeah. It should, I would imagine it's going to be a big focus this week with well, Larry coming at them. It makes this weekend yeah. the ultimate litmus test we'll know yeah. where they are after this weekend yeah they need a big start they need the crowd hugely into the game yeah they don't need it to be moved to Dublin that's for sure no <laughs> although I saw there was a piece in the Belfast Telegraph wondering perhaps should there be a refund for travelling fans to say a last weekend so the mood up there mightn't be all that welcoming when mm. they jog onto the pitch mm. uh, Racing 10 Leinster 42 what are we saying that we can't all, or that we haven't already said so many well, times it was very like last season reminded me of last season that up, up until the final by every metric they were the best side in the competition um, you would tend to overlook that and concentrate solely in the final and getting so near but so far yeah. and actually tallies with your point that that must have been even more disappointing than the year they lost to Saracens it's, the, pur- were- it's the purgatory I'm in that each Monday and Wednesday night I have to talk about Leinster being brilliant for eight yeah. months of the year yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. but they were one of the big takeaways for me was picking Ryan Baird was totally vindicated great idea because they're coming up against the Best defensive line-out in the top 14. Johan van Graan was telling us years ago that the All Blacks and Racing are the two best defensive line-outs in world rugby. It's world-class. Do you think we'll see Baird there more often than not? I don't know, but it was just it was definitely designed with that game primarily in mind because he was used so much as a line-out option. Dan Sheen's darts were magnificent. Mm. And the other big takeaway for me, I think I said it after the November test, as well and all as Ireland played in those three games, we would have talked about it, they lacked a little X-factor. Mm. Well and all as Jimmy O'Brien and Mac Hansen and Hugo Keenan did as the outside-backs, 
it was a little bit like a rugby league team. You needed that bit of X factor that one individual can bring, and you know who I'm talking about, James, James Lowe. Lowe. Yeah. The difference he's made in the last two games, that capacity to pop up anywhere, beat a tackle, and then make an offload like he made for Gary Reno's try. I don't know if any other Irish rugby mm. player can do that. And you need some individual game-breaking magic in any mm. team. Yeah, the, I know. The, that's spot on, I think, in terms of Lowe. My takeaway from it was their, um, the yellow card... Um, what's his name the ref Luke Pierce. yeah Joe, no Luke Pierce. Mm-hmm. Re- rem- reminded me of um, that famous interview with Moyes David Moyes when he took over Real so see that with this pigeon Spanish the boys have trained me dust tres cuatro times he says <laughs> but um, Luke Pierce was on the on the mic he said a cart jun for an action des- desperation or something like you know it was just like a, <laughs> Oh, like having a bit of a giggle on it, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Sorry, the point being, um, you know, the, the countdown clock goes up with the yellow card. Ten minute countdown clock. Leinster scored. The clock was at nine forty seven. Mm. So, like, there was a thirteen second turnaround for them to capitalise on the yellow card, and they did it off a, a free kick from the deck with a really clever little interplay out the back door pass. From Doris to, to from Josh. Doris to I was almost Flair. surprised they unveiled that and didn't exactly. keep that in their locker but for a little longer. It just shows what. I was as well. Yeah, keep that. That's in your a good pocket. one. Just, yeah, keep I, that for the final. Any, if that's if that's if that's defended in the final. Yes. No. Any team who's worked on a free kick like that has, has about others. ten variations. Yeah. The fact they've bothered their arse yeah. to work on free kick variations. I had a coach, Tommy Turner. Remember Paul Turner, mm-hmm. the Welsh out half in Harlequins. He used to lament that teams didn't practice their free kick little routines, and I just saw it. Haven't seen that in a long time. Just thought so smart. We don't but see enough of it in rugby, by no, the way. No, we don't. But so opportunist. And they were like, also the first to pretty much introduce the tap and go instead of the five meters scrum. If you think back, in, they started within the URC, and then but now everybody copies it. A lot of teams do. Yeah. So they're just so so how innovative so, they are. So many teams would have got the Luke Pierce's cart, John, and tapped and went and had. 18 phases and then maybe the defence would have held out yeah. and got emboldened by that and they all running in slapping each other's yeah. back Leinster scored within 13 seconds and that's what that's where they're so sharp at yeah. the moment so and Lucas, then they absolutely what's your experience got, of you know that Van der Fleer try that we're talking about the, in, the innovation yeah, yeah. what's your experience of how that tends to come up is that very much the preserve of well this, the, I'm the attack coach and you all stay away and that's, that's my area or could a player come up and say Listen, I've just thought of this thing. It might work. How does oh, that no, tend to arise? I think it's. I think it's a fair democracy in that sense. Mm. It depends on. I, it's relatively situational. I think it, it helps when the management are on board with it, and it's not the player trying to appeal to because you know they say no, we're going to take a scrum. Yeah, like, okay. there's a lot of. A lot of There's people, a lot of a lot logic of to take in a scrum if you f- back your scrum because you tie in the defence and you're that close to the try line, you're only up against three or four people. Like the reason free kicks went away is because you're up against a flat line of 12 people. To take the scrum, you, you suck in defenders. But a well-rehearsed and well-run, like in the 80s and 90s, teams had, AIL club teams, school teams, they had Rocky 1, Rocky 2, Rocky 3, Rocky 4. There's about seven of these rehearsed moves. Everyone called them Rocky, by the way, for some reason, so nobody knew what was coming next. But you watch old rugby videos from the 80s and 90s, there's absolute mayhem going on. Play- fellas running off the ball, lads holding balls yeah, I feel up it's their a jumper. bat kind of a thing. Yeah, it's a, it was old like school, but well, it's yeah. nice to see it back in. But that's Sorry, my point is not the actual free kick. It's their their opportunism and their rootlessness with a yellow card 
to score within 13 seconds. That's like four tries in, during the two yellow cards. Yeah. Four to six tries were yeah. against 14 men. Yeah. Which you, I don't think devalues it. I just think no, that shows it's just, it's just shows common, yeah. there's such a common factor in games now anyway Absolutely. that if you can maximise yeah. the advantage... Yeah. But did you, did you not think Racine were poor? As you know, in your Ross Byrne point, you're saying, oh, Lance had it easy and you disagree with that. But were Racine not poor? Uh, they were, yeah, I mean, they weren't great. But then again, you know, when the Leinster team is motoring at that level of efficiency, they can make the opposition look poor too. There's a mix. You know. were very indisciplined at the start, yeah. Yeah. which got them on the wrong side of Luke Pearce and gave Leinster a huge leg up. Yeah. Jerry, you did an interesting line. The game did not dispel the thought that Racine and Stuart Lancaster are perhaps not the most obvious fit in the world. Mm. Expand. Um, well, if you look at them, Leinster re- rely very much on a conveyor belt of indigenous homegrown talent, which is very much Stuart Lancaster's forte when you think of his roots in English underage rugby and all the way through the English system and the way he brought in so many new young players to the English team mm. and the way he develops young players. is one of his great skills. And it's a very kind of homogenous kind of squad that Leinster have. He's going to Racine, which is very much more much more of a disparate mix of season proven already developed players with not as many coming through mm. that kind of underage system. So I just I also think that um there will be an expectancy on his shoulders pretty quick in Racine, you know what I mean, in terms of results. Not that there isn't of course with Leinster as well, but I just feel that he was a very natural fit in Leinster and I'm not so sure he's a very natural fit well, in Racing. There's history there with Sexton who went over to yes. Racing Club with a Northern Hemisphere stroke Anglo-Saxon approach to bite eating the head off Dmitry Zarzewski who's French, cap- French captain or Jamie Roberts and they said not having this. Yeah. It's what makes you know what, Rog- I mean? it was, what uh, Rogers done at La Rochelle is all the more incredible because if you look at that league it's much more like say in temperament and coverage and everything. It's more like the premiership football in England. It's a little bit of a circus and coaches come and go on a fairly regular basis but it's particularly tough for non-French coaches to make success there. Mm. Like Michael Checa was bombed out of Stade Francais after two seasons and look at his CV. Yes, I'd say he was prone to akin to Sexton mm. letting some players have it as well. <laughs> Though I don't know if that's, I, that doesn't seem to be Lancaster's approach. No, But, no, but I do no. take the point, like that Leinster group they're so coachable mm-hmm. and those English players coming through would have been very coachable and that might appeal yep. to them as opposed to a superstar. Yep. But we'll see. I mean, it'll be interesting. It'll be very interesting. Uh, what are we saying of Munster then? Yeah. They play uh, Gloucester, or sorry, Leinster play Gloucester. They play Northampton on Sunday. We have the game live here and off the ball away. Yeah. Northampton will be dangerous and that's a brilliant service. It'll be a good game. They'll both go for it because Munster are on this path now playing the Mike Prendergast way and we saw Lots of it in their performance against Toulouse. And Northampton, unlike Ulster, did score two late tries after being pulverised for 70 minutes by La Rochelle. So they felt a little bit better about themselves coming back. Um, it might be no harm that it's a Sunday 1pm kick-off and eyes might, some eyes might be thought, thinking of other events somewhere else in Qatar. It won't be like a Friday night, which is much more atmospheric occasion. Yes. Gets the Helps the home whatever. side more, I think. I think so. I think so. And what about Thoman just gone? Well, the crowd were... Definitely very up for it, and I thought Munster started really well. And I was sitting there thinking after twenty minutes, Geez, Munster might win this game. Yeah, I really did. And I remember taking a note after about sixteen minutes, and I referred to a knock-on, and then twenty-one minutes, Munster's second mistake, and that led to scrum, which led to one of only two scrum. They scrum much better, and that Toulouse kicked to the corner and scored, used an advantage play to score a brilliant try in the corner, albeit there was a bit of misshape in defence. But then. 
it just showed you at Toulouse that you almost have to be perfect for 40 minutes or even 80 minutes to, for them not to explode into life. And suddenly they were 7 all, and then they were inching 10, 7 eight. I thought was, I thought Toulouse kicked the ball out of hand more than anybody else. We have this notion of Toulouse being this great flair side. It was very practical rugby. The player with the most carries and most metres by distance was Mike Haley, whose mm. counter-attacking was very good. But it showed you how pragmatic Toulouse can be. Most of their finals have been pretty boring. They can win any way you want. Yes. Yes. So, and overall, I thought it was a very encouraging, like in the same way that Ulster missed Henderson and Cooney, I think maybe they Munster missed Conor Murray. <laughs> I know that's not a popular thing to say, but I think so. Um, and, you know, they didn't have Andrew Conway and Simon Zebo and Chris Farrell. It wasn't the most experienced Munster side out there. And, Mon- and Toulouse's experience just, I yeah. really shocked. And the way they managed the game in the descending fog and took the air even more. And mm. But I thought the referee was terrible. And, you know, I don't think, I think he was bitten. Maybe he was affected a bit by the week before when he'd had that basically the red card against Keane Healy overturned. Um, I think he was a bit starstruck by Anton Dutuan, the Toulouse boys, a little bit maybe. Mm. Um, they lived offside and got away with it. The crowd were going nuts. Um, I don't know how many times Craig Casey seemed to get manhandled by players that were almost part of the ruck. So there was a fr- lot of frustration with the referee, but I, I generally got the sense that night and after the game that there was, the Munster fans were quite on board with the performance. What did you think of that? Yeah, likewise. I would, I'm, a, I'm on board with their the new management and coaching ticket I just like the history and the story and their experiences and the Roundtree's experience is vast both as a player and as a coach and he seems like a very um, he seems like a very good CEO type fella as well who can who's not constantly just in amongst it as the coach he's just got enough life experience and game experience to be able to be maybe one removed whereas Mike Prendergast's tracksuit technique strategy stuff like that and he's excellent at that which is a really nice mix um, and then you know probably if I was to look at the individual we met, I mentioned that Ulster squad you look at their individual players personnel position to position I'd probably say Ulster have a better overall squad man for man but I don't I don't think that's going to impact Munster at the moment I think the collective is going to go in the in a going in the right direction okay I think there's there's a lot of positives there post the Van Gran era now I think that was high time they got a, a different coaching setup, and I think they're a good choice. Ironically, it wasn't their own choice to do so, but yeah. it's fallen that way for yeah. them. They're still in for a huge game on Sunday. In the same way as Ulster, if you lose a home match, yeah. they then lost away to Northampton. I have this sense in Northampton lately that they're just not invested in this tournament. I've watched so many dud Northampton. They're an extraordinary team because they can get hammered one week and come back and beat Leinster in the Viva the next week. They are there, but they have their history in this tournament is littered with thumping defeats like the one last okay. week. I have a question for Jerry, who was at it. Is there a sense that Tomond is getting back to the kind of, from a supporter's point of view, the, the level of fervent passion that was there in the glory years? Or That's a good question. It's a really good question because you're judging it against the pandemic game when there was nobody there. You're judging it against the Aviva game last season, which I wasn't at because I was in Leicester, but it seems to have been an incredible atmosphere. Um, and some people would say 21, 22,000, oh, it's shorter capacity, would have filled that ground years ago. Yeah, maybe, but and I think it might have been still the biggest attendance of the weekend. Yeah, yeah. And the crowd were certainly 
very engaged and very with it, despite the fact that nobody could see what was going on on the other half of the pitch. Like we were looking at the press box, we had the we had the monitors and the camera was based on the far side of the pitch. You could go up, oh, what's going on the far side? I look at the monitor and then you could see, well, because the cameras couldn't see was on this side of the pitch. You could, so you had to, we were lucky in the press room that we were one of the two, few people that you could yeah. pretty much keep an eye on things. I think the crowd were a bit partly disengaged by the weather as well and definitely a bit rocked back by the score. But I thought they stayed with the team all the way and I thought they were... Was the number that... I when I saw 21, 22,000, I was very pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Yes. Given yeah. the conditions and I just thought that maybe things are changing in that regard as well. I was around Limits that night and yeah. certainly everybody I spoke to was just very positive. There was almost no negativity about Munster. Whatever negativity was, Classic Munster was all about the referee. Yeah. Well, we need that. Mm. We need We, we need, need the it. crowd. They're very important yeah. Munster. And we need a Munster that is high-functioning. Yep. Important rugby. We don't have time to get into it in too much detail now, but it's worth mentioning John Ryan is headed to New Zealand and there's a sense that Munster really should have held on to this guy for at least the rest of the season, so that may well rebound on them. And then the other thing just to mention is Bernard Laporte. Mm. I mean, the biography of Laporte is going to be interesting whenever it's eventually done because he's had so many lives. And uh, in his latest iteration, he's been sentenced by a French court to a two-year suspended term for corruption. He's going to appeal. He is the president of the French Rugby Federation. So it seems he showed favouritism in awarding a shirt sponsor contract for the national side to a close friend, the Moed Altrad. The multi-billionaire. Yes. <laughs> Owner of uh, Montpellier as well. I mean, yeah. there's all sorts of conflicts also of interest. judgment passed down against him as well, along with three others. Yes. And Laporte has said he'll appeal. He's vice chairman of World Rugby, and he's, um, he's self-imposed, it seems, uh, a suspension pending appeal and investigation. Uh, prosecutors were looking for a three-year prison sentence. This was very serious. Mm-hmm. And I suppose we are subject to uh, the laws of the land, and, and, and this is still an ongoing case. But pretty extraordinary on the eve of World Cup as well. Extraordinary. Ten months out for the President of the French Federation to be in this position. I mean, it must be one of the most... Embarrassing. It's probably the most embarrassing history in the, in the history of French Federation. You can't imagine anything like Altrad that. remaining across the yes. jersey. Yeah. I mean, if there's one thing we've learned about Bernard Laporte in the last few years, and certainly this week, he has got the hide of a bull. He's quite thick-skinned. And he's resisting all calls with, from within the Federation. I think it's a guy called Florian Grail would run up against him if there was an election. But basically, there would have to be a 40-man executive would have to change the rule or step down for the election to take place. And if, if Laporte tells them to stay there, they're going to stay there. But in the midst of all this, the Minister of Sport, who's over in Qatar at the World Cup, Amélie Udea Caster, she has called for him to step down and for there to be elections. And there's no doubt that Florian Grill, if there was an election, would have a great chance of winning because he ran against Laporte last year and he lost only by 51 to 49%. So the Ministry of Sport is calling for Laporte to stand down and he's saying he won't do it. She's out of Qatar at the moment. She'd be at the semi-final and then herself and Macron are going to fly back to Paris. So it could be that the, she will meet with Laporte in the next couple of days and if not, certainly next week. And her statement was unusually strongly worded. French Ministers of Sport don't come out with statements like that normally. So he's under extraordinary pressure, mm. um, as are the French Federation. And it would be very interesting to see how it pans out. Okay, fellas, we are out of time. Our rugby coverage and off the ball is with thanks to Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Jerry Thornley, thank you very much of the Irish Times. Pleasure.
Andy Dunn, who knows when we'll see you again. I guess the cold weather has facilitated you having nothing better to do at your weekend. So uh, maybe sooner than we think. Thank you very much. Hopefully. Thank you. Okay, we're done. Wednesday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us.